Hello, everyone, and welcome to our season three best of episode of Ask Anything presented by Mosier Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosier's Director of Personnel, and with me today is producer Brian, because we have several clips that we think are some of the best for season three of Ask Anything. It's Clip-O-Rama time. It's time for clips. <laughs> it's the best time of the year. We do enjoy doing these, and I know Brian does, because when we're recording these episodes, he has his little notebook down. And he has his little timer. And so anytime anybody says something worth remembering, he's marking it down for the time and then basically clipping it for exactly this purpose. So Brian, what can you tell us about what we've got going on today? We've got clips from a lot of different guests. And yeah, this is one of my favorite things. Uh, when I was a kid, I would I collected quotes. I'd be reading a book or something and a character or if it was a biography a quote from a famous person I like. I have notebooks that I would like write them down in what was said, who said it. And a, a lot of times like the date that I found it. So mm. now I get to get paid to do that, which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. And really to go back and listen to all of the people that we interviewed, whether they were internal to Mosier or external. So our special guests, it was really a treat. And Every time I feel we get a lot of like these little gold nuggets of information that we just can't wait to share again. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't tell you to go back and listen to some of the full episodes from some of these quotes that we're going to give you today, because really the context of the quotes is great. You're going to get it right away. But I feel like the conversation around it is definitely worth another listen to. And if you haven't done so, go back and, and listen to it because we've got people that from all walks of life, from different businesses that do different things that just give us all this great information. And starting us off was really one of our favorites, if not the favorite for this year, no, no offense to anybody else, but Brian Neal. I mean, talking about personal branding with your truly authentic self. I mean, you can't build a personal brand from the outside in is something that he says on this quote. And it really, that I know stuck with you because uh, you you had some stuff that you wanted to talk about it in there. Yeah, to complete the gold nugget analogy or metaphor, when you find nuggets, if you follow them back, you can find the mother load, the huge deposit, like the absolute like riches beyond measure and Brian Neal's episode right out of the gate was to mix sports metaphors because the other interesting thing about him is that he's an NFL umpire slash referee. So to mix sports metaphors, an absolute home run right out of the gate. And just being down, let's call yeah. it a touchdown. <laughs> but uh, he absolutely, when he's talking about personal branding and be, how important it is to be your authentic self and that a good brand is polarizing. Because people need to know how to feel about you or your brand. And then when they know your authentic brand, your authentic self, then they know how to react. And you know how to react to them in turn. Because you don't want to be around people that don't like being around you or that you don't enjoy being around. Sounds a little hokey, but it's where I, I tell people to start with personal branding is their truly authentic self. That's mm -hmm. where your personal brand starts. And it can't start anywhere else. You can't build a personal brand from the outside in. And so many people try to do that. They're like, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to do my thing. And when I'm, I'm going to be this guy or that gal and do this and that, and it's all, if it's fake, it's fake. Everyone sees right through it. So the first play, when people say personal branding and you're like, where do I start? I don't even have a LinkedIn account. I don't know about Instagram. I'm not good on camera. You're starting at the wrong place. You start with your authentic self and your heart and soul and build it outwards from there. 
the first impression when you try to make one, I think you're dead on arrival. If I show up as me, I'm, I have nothing to worry about. Now, if I show up as me and we don't click, we're, that's good for both of us. The way I look at that, because we just shouldn't click because whatever, you know, like I'm, you know, so for everyone's their authentic self, the right people find the right people. A good brand is actually polarizing. And that means a good brand gives people enough information in its brand to let that consumer, the person make a decision, whether they want to be a part of that brand, buy it, consume it or not. And when we talk about personal brand, I think we have to look at both sides of that. The goal is not to pull everyone in. The goal is to let everyone make the right decision to say, Matt's my guy, Brian isn't. And that decision be a good decision for them. Because a good personal brand should say, yeah, you're my person or you're not. And that's okay. Either of those things can live in the same space. That really struck a chord with me. I was like, I, yes, that is a personal philosophy that I already hold. Yeah, I don't want to be around people that I annoy. And I don't want people who annoy me to be around me either. So everybody be who you are. And we'll get each other sorted out in pretty good order. Yeah, it definitely resonates with all of us, really. If you've never thought about the inner circle that you have around you, his episode is definitely another one that you should be going back to listen to. But then we then have Bob Russo, who talks about IT people, technical professionals, and how they're problem solvers. And a great voice. Unrelated to what he says is the way he says it. He's got a mm -hmm. really really soothing, very pleasant speaking voice. So yes. <laughs> definitely go back and check out that episode because it's a good listen for the information. And it's just a good listen because he's got a great tone. No, he does. He should be making audiobooks for somebody. I don't know. He should be he should yeah. be probably reading books for people. And a really interesting career just getting in mm -hmm. at the IBM. I don't not necessarily ground floor, but very early and and through the growth there and the experiences and the the just the the dealing day in day out with technical people who were busy building one of the largest tech brands ever anywhere. You know, he's got a wealth of knowledge to pull from, and it was really great to have him here uh, sharing some of it with us. Technical professionals are different than almost anybody else, and we manage them differently. The first thing that I remember about them is they are professionals. They spent a lot of time, and they're very serious about their work. They spent a lot of time to train themselves, to gain the skills, and to learn to become the best that they are in whatever technical field that they're in. So to respect that professionalism, is very, very important because they, it helps them be seen. They're not just a, you know, a staff member or somebody to do a job. You actually treat them as a professional. So the second thing that, that, that is, that's different about them is that they are problem solvers. So they love it when their manager comes in and says, I've got a problem. I really don't know how to solve it myself. I need your help. Man, that gets them buy-in and that gets them to be motivated. Once you have their buy-in, you can't take that problem away from them. They will, they will solve that problem and they will work day and night until that problem is solved. Now that I know they hate when I come in there and ask them for status, but when I ask, when can you get, here's the reason why we need the status and when can you come up with the status? It's almost like another problem they need to solve. I'm not telling them when they have to do it. And then we had Melinda Lauder, our own director of marketing, she actually pops in a couple of times in this uh, best of episode. And I will save the second time for later. It's not just because she's my boss. She's got really good <laughs> things to say. 
I mean, she does have every time we've had her on, she does bring very interesting topic. And this first one to me was was very interesting. And it, and it had to deal with uh, how you should keep sucking until you succeed. So basically, if you're bad at something, just keep trying until you you get it right. Yeah. Fail um, forward, fail fast, fail forward. Yeah. You know, learn, don't, learn the don't lesson be afraid. And, get, and build on it. Yeah. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because trying will make you a better person overall. So just don't be afraid to make mistakes. And that's something that I think as not just as leaders, because I'm in a position of leadership. And that's something that I tell my employees all the time. It doesn't matter when if you make a mistake or not, it's okay. We're all going to learn from them. And then we're going to move forward and we're going to make it better the next time. So that episode with Melinda was very interesting. Yeah, as long as it's not fatal, it's a way to grow and learn and to be better the next time around. And if you embrace it, our goal isn't to fail, but failure is not the end of our process. It's just, it's part of, it's part of it. If it happens, okay, we've learned some things, keep going. Students who are allowed to make mistakes and she called it errorful learning. If those were followed up with corrective feedback, the students excelled and did very well learning their own lessons from the mistakes and being guided in the right way. Being free to make errors frees us up for innovation because you're not going to innovate unless you're trying new things and figuring things out. And some of those things are going to be mistakes. They're going to be wrong. You can't be afraid of doing that. What happens is when a mistake does happen, which is going to happen, people seize up. They, they feel anxiety uh, about what this perceived failure says about them, about security with their job. It's really a stressful situation, but what we need to think about is what if we assessed mistakes with a growth mindset, right? Learning from mistakes at work might look like discovering how to better plan for the unexpected. So, you know, I made this mistake because I wasn't prepared for these situations that could happen. It could just involve a personal change, like I need to become more detail oriented. I need to work on that. But, you know, basically, instead of focusing on the mistake, focusing on what can be learned, how you can turn that into a growing experience, mistakes can make us better people in our jobs and in our life if we give it the room to let that happen. Yes, absolutely. And then something that something that was an interesting episode as well for me was Becky Luth, uh, our own Becky Luth, where we were talking about project management. And, uh, and she mentioned something very funny that uh, you can't spell that without the word nag. Project manager cannot be spelled without nag. And usually yeah. I'm like the the pressure's on me, like, man, we need a title for this episode. I got to come up with a couple, but that one came fully. Put. She came with the title in hand, mentioning and we're like, okay, um, pressure's off on this one because there it is. That's a great title. <laughs> and and I mean, kudos to her because she definitely was a project manager for that episode. She came prepared. She basically gave us everything that we were expecting and more. And uh, a quick congrats to Becky and her family on on the birth of their uh, daughter. So uh, Becky just had a daughter recently. So we want to congratulate her and welcome her to the Mosier family. I can't tell you how many times having good relationships and being transparent and, and over communicative and again, being able to utilize those soft skills that some people just really don't want to take the time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something in project management called stakeholder management. And it's again, mm-hmm. just being 
really engaging at the appropriate level with everyone who's impacted by that project. So all mm -hmm. of the stakeholders, here's this thing that has happened. We want to keep you informed and figure out how you'd like to move forward. And again, just having those relationships, I can't tell you how many times that has helped me be able to keep a project on track and or get something back on track when it's derailed slightly uh, because people know that we're doing our best. Again, just like having that empathy for other team members and all of the stakeholders who are impacted, that goes a long way. I can't even tell you. Hopefully these kudos will ease the sting of the sleep deprivation that she is most likely experiencing uh, right now. <laughs> yes, yes. As somebody who, as all of you know, have, has an eight-month uh, baby, yes. I'm getting out of that phase right now, so that's uh, very positive for me, but she's getting into it. You're able to sleep. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I'm not in the able-to-sleep phase yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a cycle you know it's you cyclical. get out of it yeah, from yeah, the baby yeah. yeah from the baby stage then kind of the toddler years are okay yesterday was the last day of school for us so last night was just oh. pandemonium oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like yay it's summer i'm like um for you maybe i gotta work tomorrow everybody hush yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I've got the same thing. My my eight-year-old is running around somewhere at this house right now. So from Becky, we moved on to Wombats. <laughs> Chad Wheat with the just the all-star analogy. Anytime coming up with a subject, um, he can encapsulate it so quickly and so perfectly. I can teach a wombat to press the right buttons in the right order. You know, it's dealing with people that's hard. And, and he's right. Uh, yeah. We can certainly teach a wombat to, uh, no offense to the wombat uh, animal kingdom, but chat is always bringing some of the best quotes and really a lot of the depth of information from a, in this case, in this episode, what do you need to become a successful help desk individual, somebody who basically does what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and really talking as well about where IT folks within that realm are going into the future. So a very interesting episode, uh, yeah, to say the least. Buttons and code and procedures you can learn. That is relatively easy compared to people. Dealing with people can be very difficult. <laughs> yes. We can train a wombat to do this job with the technical skills and how to push the right buttons and everything. But... In IT, it takes a lot more than just technical acumen. I think the first thing that, especially in a help desk or service desk environment, it takes empathy. I often tell our new hires, because they get a lot of questions direct from customers, you don't have to have all the answers, but you have to know where to find all the answers. And yes, even uh, IT guys use Google. When you're working in IT, especially, again, in managed services on, on a help desk, for example, you don't exist in a vacuum. While you're one-on-one -on -one with the customer, it may, it may seem like that, but you know you should have a whole team behind you. And Mosher, for example, we do a great job with collaboration and I'm sure other companies do too. So you've got those resources and peers are among the most valuable resource. And up next, we had Rick Clemens who gave us a great deal of information on a STEM summer camp called Techucate here in Indy, bringing STEM to young children. And that's something that as we are going into summer, obviously, I know Rick is working very hard in right now to uh, get that ready for the young community here in Indy. So kudos to Rick and the team working at Techucate. 
Yeah, I know he's very passionate about that camp and those efforts that that he's making. They're gaining ground, they're growing. And mm -hmm. uh, I was really happy to talk to him about that and help get the word out because that's something that my younger self would have uh, very much enjoyed doing when I was a kid. I, was, <laughs> I, I would have loved to have heard about something like that. Ah, uh, yes, to be young again. Youth development's just really important and we don't see a ton of it. We see it's really growing in sports. You have all these private coaches and baseball and things, but we don't, we haven't seen a huge growth in the STEM area, um, but it is more and more common. The ages are getting younger. So the goal here is to really introduce, you know, electricity, Arduino, and give these very high level concepts. So it's not so out of scope and out of reach um, for people once they get older. You know, you can start at a young age and really start to introduce these concepts. Really introducing this to kids, it's, it's hard because if you're not exposed to this, you know, whether you have parents or siblings or someone you know it's kind of out of reach you just see these crazy i need to know math and i need to be this genius and it really seems out of reach so introducing this um to those freshmen sophomore juniors before they're entering into their you know whether it be college post-secondary boot camp um really kind of gives them encouragement and hope that they actually have already been exposed to this and it's not as complex as it may seem and it's not out of reach so it's kind of this momentum to continue down this journey and really dig into this potential career path. So speaking of something that's that's going places, that was our next guest from Upsearch Baltimore, Corey Bailey, who is, as you heard during that episode, and if you haven't, please go back. This is a great initiative down uh, out in Baltimore. They're helping to build a tech community in the city of Baltimore to bring that community up and they're doing a great job. I mean, in one year, my God, everything that they've done in that time frame has been amazing. And they're just getting started. They're, they're a great community out there. They've got great support from their local communities. And so it's such a great story. And it's one of those things that you love to hear because the job, the work that they're doing out there, it's phenomenal in yeah. Baltimore. So the start they got, um, like this, this early evolution of the movement. I mean, that's somebody we should bookmark and, and talk to again in like season six or seven, cause that'll be like a year or two from now and just check in because I'm looking forward to seeing what they've done between now and then like it'd be fun yeah. to check in with them. And everything they're doing from one of the quotes that really resonated with me from their website was that they were not trying to be just the next great tech city because that there's a ton of cities out there in the U.S. that are trying to claim a stake, you know, at that title, but they're trying to become the country's first equitech city. So kudos to Upsearch Baltimore. And again, thanks to Corey Bailey and thanks to Althea Stevens, our very own Althea Stevens for bringing Corey and for being a part of Upsearch Baltimore, for representing uh, Mosier within that Upsearch Baltimore community. That's, yeah. it's, it's a great thing to be a part of right now in Baltimore. Uh, check out that episode in full. Corey's got a lot of really, really interesting information and results that they've gotten early on. And be sure and check out their website too. Upsurge Baltimore is an effort to elevate Baltimore into the top tier of, of tech cities. Uh, in the country and in the world, really, but to do it from a uniquely Baltimore perspective, uh, which is what you mentioned. We are viewing this and, and our mission is to become the world's first Equitech city. And what that means is the world's first truly inclusive innovation economy. From the very beginning, there are a lot of cities that we are learning from, the brain hubs that are out there. You think about San Francisco, Austin, Boston, 
New York, LA, but those also happen to be some of the most wealth divided cities in our country as well because of dislocation and, and gentrification. So we prioritize a lot of the same work and effort that goes into elevating a knowledge economy, working with founders and companies, access to capital, talent development and pathways, collaboration and connection within the ecosystem. But we also very intentionally focus on sort of storytelling and marketing, telling a new story for Baltimore. People that are here know the energy and effort that's going into how we're building our city. Uh, people outside of, of Baltimore don't haven't quite caught on yet. Uh, and bringing these, everyone together and bringing this effort to bear around the idea of becoming the first, world's first Equitech city um, has been really powerful in pulling those connections together. Uh, all sort of saying, hey, there's something really special happening in Baltimore. How can we plug in and, and help? So it's a citywide effort and, and it's been really, really phenomenal to, to watch. Going from Upsurge Baltimore, we moved on to World Password Day with Alexander Johnson. He gave us a lot of good insights into what to do and what not to do uh, when you're building out your passwords for your different websites, whether, whether it's from a personal standpoint or for your work password, which by the way, if, if you're listening, both your work and personal passwords should be different. Just yeah, that, that was a terrifying episode to try and produce because I'm like, I, I need to listen, but I also need to run around and change a, a bunch of my passwords. <laughs> it's like, I, I need to focus, but I also need to create a list of a couple of places that I need to go and update some things. It was probably one of the, if not the first, one of the few episodes where I was actually just making mental notes and actual notes as he was talking, because there's a lot going on. And yeah. if you haven't listened, go back. He he talks about a tool that, that there is online where you can actually see, based on the password that you use, how quickly a hacker could figure out what your password is. So yeah, and I'm like, we should have had him on at Halloween because this is terrifying. <laughs> like, oh, oh, no, that very secure password I spent all that time thinking up with a brute force. It was like, Six minutes, I think. I'm like, well, great. <laughs> so it's like even the thought of password length being almost more important than password complexity mm -hmm. because you have you have just infinitely more character combinations across lengths. So and, and password phrases was a, a newer concept to me. I got a special character. I got a I got a capital letter or two. I got a number. I got a, you know exponent whatever uh, punctuation and other things in the password. That should be good. Oh no, I'm, I'm okay, but is okay good? Is it, I'm good, but is it is that good enough? And after that episode, it was I had very clearly determined about I don't know eight minutes in that no no this is not good enough. I have some work to do when we're done. <laughs> All I could think about when you were saying that is you know when you go to a website where you've never subscribed or something and they ask you for your password and then they put that little bar at the bottom that goes from like red to yellow to green. It's it's yeah. just the same thing. It's like yeah. when we were having that conversation with Alexander, it was like, oh God, I feel like I'm in the red all the yeah. time. Like, <laughs> I, was, I, would have, I would have sworn that I was free and clear and well into the green and here I am and every, every word he says is pulling it closer and deeper into the red. Okay. No. NIST and other security resources have been leaning towards uh, password length being greater than or a bigger, better factor than password complexity. Both should be utilized, but research is showing that the length more greatly affects how easily a password can be cracked. When you're discussing a password, 
no matter how complex that is, a past phrase, even if it's more simple, but of course you should still apply that same complexity, would be much harder to crack. Going back to that principle of something you have or something you are or something you know is you know your password, something you are, it recognizes your machine, and then potentially something else you have that can be a authentication code or uh, a token that is that is sent to you via text message, phone call, another email, etc. It really depends on the type of service that you're using that you would also have to enter in in order to access your accounts. And why that's a good thing is let's say that your information is somehow compromised and somebody in another state or another town, whatever, tries to access your information. They know your credentials, they know your email, they know your password, and they put that in. If set up appropriately, uh, rather than them just being able to get in, that will go to directly to your phone and it'll say, hey, you're trying to log in here, here's an authentication number. And that should alert you and you could be able to say, well, wait, I was never trying to access my account. Is somebody trying to access my account? And if they've gotten this far, then potentially they know my credentials. Mm -hmm. And so then that can alert you to go in and change your credentials so that you can change your password, et cetera. Go back to listening to the episode. It's like Brian said, it might as well be a Halloween episode because it's, <laughs> it's going to haunt you. like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, the, the call is coming from inside the house. Run, run, run. Uh, shout out to Alexander. He was, a, he was a great guest. So from World Password Day, we move on to human-centered design with Adrian Watts and Sarah Moore, where we talked about Mosher's offering within human-centered design in data and analytics. A very interesting topic. I mean, just, just going about what they do to get the results that organizations want from their data. It was amazing to see the process and basically the five-step process basically, and then sort of like that sixth step that we add as an organization in the end was very interesting. Yeah. Especially when clients come in thinking they already know the answer. They're coming in with a confirmation bias, they're looking for uh, like, okay, we know what's going on, but we just, we're going to go through this, but we know, we know what it's going to be. And then it absolutely is not the thing that they were anticipating or what they're hanging their hat on. Like, no, it's not that it's something else. And having the data to point to, mm -hmm. you know, to prove it's not like, this is not opinion. Here's the data. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be a fun meeting to be in. Well, <laughs> it, because it people can be. react to that one of two ways. Like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Or just, or just mad. <laughs> yeah. Why? Just where did you get that? No, I mean, the process itself, and we're not going to go over the process here. So go back and listen to the episode, but the process itself, it's a very, when explained, it's a very easy five-step process. Obviously the, the nitty gritty, the details that go into each piece of the puzzle into each step of the process is definitely more complex than what it sounds. But at the end, the results that they get, as you were saying, it can be a good thing or it can be something where then you need to address some things. And then Mosher as a company does add a separate step called Drive. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's very interesting. The more discovery that we do and the more questions we ask, the deeper we dive into the data points, we learn new things. And that's a journey that we walk with the client, right? So that they are pivoting as well. And as we can show them more data points or they hear feedback from other teams or users, 
that sometimes our direction will change a little bit or that they need the same data maybe represented three or four different ways or different pages or different reports for different groups of users or teams. And that happens a lot. The other thing that happens a lot is they think they know until they see their actual data. And so once they see the data on the screen, it's not telling the story that they thought, or maybe it's more complex than they needed, or they need to see it rolled up or categorized or mapped differently. And so the teams are all well-versed in having those conversations with them. They did a nice job of breaking it down. So even yeah. the podcast producer can follow yes. what they're saying. So I was, I, was, yeah. I was appreciative of being able to follow what they were talking about. Me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so shout out to Adrian and Sarah who did a great job uh, with us on that. And then from Human Center Design, we moved on with, he's been a guest, I think, every season that we've had, Jim Timmerman, talking about disaster recovery. And this one specifically, we talked about what to do if you find yourself in a spot where you really need to have recovery of your data you know what happens in those scenarios what what <laughs> happens when you didn't pay enough attention during the password episode of asking anything yeah yeah see so we went from from the simple thing for password to then what happens when your password is that <laughs> jim talks a great deal about it's not just about that monetary cost it's about the cost of making sure you get up how quickly can you get up back up and running yeah, how, finding how that tipping soon. point, finding that tipping mm -hmm. point between how much do you want to spend for, you know, playing defense or protecting yourself versus what would it cost you if you fall victim to someone and you're down? How fast can you stand back up and get running again? And in the time that you're not, what does that cost you? Actually, the main goal is the recovery piece of it and how quickly you can stand up an environment. And when we say that, we mean more of how quickly can we be productive again. How quickly can we recover? Okay, so what's the time frame? That's the key thing. And the, the other side of that is how much data are we losing? If something does happen, what is it going to take for me to recover that environment and get back up and running? So as they look at it, they should not just say, okay, hey, this is what it costs me to do this backup, but how quickly can I recover? And are the assumptions that I'm making on the recovery time valid? From Disaster recovery, we go into creative thinking. This is Melinda Lauder's second shout out here for our marketing director. So she brought us a topic about creative thinking skills. And one of the things I enjoyed the most was talking about if brainstorming was dead as we knew it. You know, we talked about being more individual, individualistic thinking, uh, getting those creative thinking juices flowing, whether that's sitting on your porch, drinking a cup of coffee, or maybe going for a walk. I spent close to 20 years in the creative department of advertising agencies as a writer, producer, and associate creative director. So working with a lot of creative people on a lot of different creative projects, tasks, and challenges, and we brainstormed a lot. And it's not always the best use of everybody's time. Yeah, a different perspective on how to on how to get those ideas. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe brainstorming was never the best way to actually do that. Um, so, really interesting episode, really interesting topic of, of on getting your creative thinking skills and and get them going for you. And the fact that any job you're doing, you can apply creativity 
to it. I mean, not not necessarily painting or you know writing poetry or something, but any job can you can approach it in a creative way. You can think about it in a creative way to help you find new, better, or just more engaging ways to accomplish whatever it is that you need to accomplish. It's about developing creative thinking skills and then applying them to your problem solving to create innovation in what you do. Um, it's about thinking big, big picture, high level thinking, and the ability to see things from new angles, right? New perspectives. And if you are able to do this in your career, not in art, you can come up with solutions no one else is talking about, right? No one else is doing. And creativity is going to be the currency of the modern worker, especially in technology. And then our last special guest of the year was Mr. Frank Agin. Uh, and he came to us to talk about networking in the modern world. And he had some interesting takes on that. I was really interested in listening to him in how he had started communicating. Because, you know, one of the things that we talked about in the episode is how when you're in person, obviously you can see the mannerisms, you know, of, of the person. One of the ways that you network is to imitate those mannerisms. So if somebody like crosses their arms, you start crossing their arms, you know, kind of just try to mimic all those things. So he tells us the story about how he had to change the way he networked from being in an in-person situation to now in a Zoom environment, a Teams yeah. environment, et cetera. Yeah, it was an interesting episode. He had, he had some great takes. One of the questions I always get with respect to networking is what can I do to really impact my network today, my relationships today? And what I tell people is find something you're passionate about and go volunteer. I mean, there's lots of groups, lots of organizations that need help. They need support more than they need money. I mean, money's great, but people's time is invaluable, right? You can't get that back. And so I tell people to get out there and volunteer their time. They're immediately thrust into a world with other people who have the same passions that they do. They never have to talk about what it is they do. I mean, Mosier, you know, that ought to be the number one initiative. Everybody get out there and do something, Right. Because people will find out what they're about. The second thing that happens when we get out and we volunteer and do things in our communities, however you want to define your community, is that even the people who aren't, who don't share that same passion, see you doing it. And just by the whole, the nature of us being hardwired and looking for people who are willing to help other people, when they see that you're involved, they just, they'll come to believe that you're a good person. So that's certain, you know, that's my one bit of advice for people. Then, of course, as we wrap up this episode, we can't forget to mention our data analytics series and our really unique Star Wars episode this year, where we talked about our Star Wars trivia challenge that we did last year. We spoke a little bit about the current Star Wars world and where it's going, where it's heading. And, and we broke off for a little, a brief Lord of the Rings discussion. And yes. we even talked to the new Willow series today before yeah. getting started. So a lot of fantasy, sci-fi, Disney related discussions <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. So kudos to that episode. And, and I mean, I don't want to pat my own back, but I play second this year in our Star Wars trivia. So I'm, uh, I'm not going to be the guest, uh, the guest that's going to be somebody else next year, but it'd be weird to interview was, yourself anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we probably do it just like we do this, just you and I talking and, and just, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a very fun episode. And then 
we had the actual Star Wars Day for Mosier this year uh, on May 4th, and we had a lot of fun with the trivia and with the events surrounding that. I'm going to be as humble as possible when I say this. Uh, the reason I never place in the trivia contest is because I'm the one that writes the questions. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, yes. It's like, Brian, yes, this, why don't you ever win? Because I write the questions. Yeah, he can't He can't cheat, so um, we don't let him. But no, but shout out to you because those questions this year were very good. They were hard, but they were entertaining and they were good. I mean, we'd like to thank you again for listening into this week's edition of Ask Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening to our end of year recap episode. We'll be back for our fourth season. Wow. Can't believe it. Sometime in late July or maybe early August, we, we've yet to figure out the schedule, but we will be back sometime in July of 2022. So please stay tuned for that and much more. We'd like to thank those of you who have listened in during our third season. We really appreciate your time with us and we hope that you come back when we return for season four. We really enjoy producing these episodes. We really enjoy talking with our guests, whether they're internal or external. It is a blast to do so I like talking to people who know more about something than I do. That's just, it's what, it's one of my favorite things and it's, it's such yep. a great way to learn something. So this is a really great opportunity to do that. So yeah, thanks for listening. Yes. It's a great learning experience really for all of us, not just from the standpoint of, you know, we get to interview these people but before every episode, we do a lot of like work to make sure that we're preparing that we know, especially when it's somebody from outside of Mosher. So we do want to, obviously talk with them, but also be in a conversation with them because sometimes it's hard to bring somebody in where they've got a topic and we want to make sure that we can stay up, <laughs> stay with them. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that obviously not a lot of people see. So I do have to give kudos to this man for helping us produce because really, I mean, what you hear is perfection. <laughs> I do what I can. I do what I can. You make it pretty easy with your hosting, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help in whatever way I can. This team, you know, obviously the Mosier marketing team is a great team. Brian, Melinda are great. And, and we really want to bring you guys a good product and we really want to bring you guys a good recording from these episodes. So, And shout out to our designer, Jade, for the episode graphics and everything each week. And for yes. the stuff for our promotional materials, everything always looks great. Yes. Again, this is a whole team effort, the marketing team. And I mean, I, I am not part of the marketing team, obviously. I'm, I'm director of personnel, but I feel like I'm a part of this marketing team because we made for these episodes weekly, if not more, I mean, to produce these episodes. So those guys, the marketing team, they do a great job making sure that we are putting these things out there and putting a great product out there. So thank you everybody for doing that. And once again, thank you all for listening for producer Brian and Mosier's marketing team. I am Angel Leon. We wish you a happy and joyous summer. So long, everybody. Wear sunscreen. <laughs>